This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. And Paul, we're almost there. Is it lunchtime? Almost, but even better, the holidays are coming, and oh, we've man. got we've got some advice in a few studies. Oh no, not studies. Oh yeah, I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Today we answer lots of questions about wine and holiday parties. We have studies on wine labels, on how wine affects our moods. Anyone want to guess? And on <laughs> health benefits of bubbly. And this comes just in time for the holidays. Yeah. Also in time for the holidays, we'll tell you about the calories in your drink. You may Ooh. not like this one so much. Plus, as usual, we will make fun of wine snobs, even the very fit and thin ones. Stay <laughs> with us. Listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we're going to confirm a few things people already know. Oh no, Rick, you've been reading studies again. <laughs> yes, you? I have a couple of doozies. One is from our Harvard label guy. We oh like yeah, he's him. good. Yeah, he's good. Uh, but first, Paul, uh, there is this. So buckle your seatbelt. I don't right. have one, but okay. Okay. Some Dutch scientists studied the impact of ambience and of wine. Both that's, of those that's, things, Indi- independently and, and together. That's ambience, as in ambiance, ambience. as in the f- atmosphere, yes. not ambient. No, not ambient or ambulances. No, we're right, talking okay. about we're talking about atmosphere and wine on our moods. And I'll bet most people can guess results. Um, but this is scientificness. It makes us feel good. It, yes. Well, there is a slight twist to it. Um, okay. So what it was, a group of Dutch scientists studied something called, and I love these things, endocannabinoids. Um, they're they're referred to as ECs, but I'm going to refer to as endocannabinoids simply because I like sanum. You know, I think there's a pill for that. There, there are. Well, what they are, they're a class of chemicals in our body that act a lot like the cannabinoids, which are what you get from marijuana. Yes, they are. So in essence, it's our body's attempt at raising our own mood, endocannabinoids. It's a fun thing. All right, so this was published in the journal PLOS One, a peer-reviewed open access journal. It's published by the nonprofit Public Library of Science based in San Francisco. These are legitimate folks, all right? So uh, this is surprises me, however. You're laughing because what, what, you know what's coming. The research attempted for the first time ever, in quotes, their words, to evaluate the changes in mood caused by amb- ambience and alcohol on our endocannabinoids. So this, in essence, the chemical yeah, body I'm laughing reaction. because this sounds so complicated to tell us when you drink wine, you feel good. Yes, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, 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 yeah I know, huh? But so, but Go ahead. Part of why I... Please continue. But part of why I bring you this study, Paul, is because you're going to like how they did it. Okay. (laughs) So they took a group of healthy Dutch women. I don't know why men. Not men, but just Dutch women. Apparently, they drink more wine. Okay. Between the ages of 18 and 45. So actually not of legal drinking age in the U.S. for some of these young women. They are in in Dutch. (laughs) And these are regular alcohol drinkers, according to them, between 3 and 20 glasses per week. 20, Paul. Okay, so that's moderate. That's three glasses a day. Not quite. 20 a week is five 20. bottles. It, yeah, but it's three glasses. Yeah. Right? Uh, so three well, glasses sure. a day. Okay. You have a glass at lunch, you have a glass for dinner, and you have a glass later to make yourself sound smart. There you go. I was going to say that's that for me, that's just warming up, but that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So each of them got to be in these four situations. The four situations were fundamentally <clears throat> in a good room, in a bad room, um, with and without wine. Okay. So there were good room and nice. Nice decor, soft lighting, nice music. Did they have pictures of dogs playing poker on well, the wall? Well, even better is that they showed them happy scenes from Bambi and from The Lion King. <laughs> oh, it gets better. So it's like Bambi on ice. It's Bambi on ice where, you know, Bambi's all skittering around and yeah. the Lion King's getting hugged no by stooges, other lions. Right? And they were to drink one glass of a sparkling alcoholic wine um, within five minutes while watching the film. Okay, so get that's actually a, drinking fairly quickly. Fairly quickly, too. get them a little yeah. buzzed. 
The unpleasant room, you know, grim lighting, no music, not much decor. And they also watched Bambi and the Lion King, but they were... I thought they were going to pump in sounds of Rick and Paul on talking about wine. Well, that would wine. do it too. So it's you know it's the Lion King's father dying and Bambi's mother dying, the worst <laughs> movie scene ever. Clearly, their moods were not good. And then they got, also got like macaroni. They got a macaroni dish to eat right after watching the movie and had to down two more glasses of wine. Um, this is a t- wait a minute. They tough had to gig. Do all, these people are slugging this. They're wine slugging down it, at and this they had point. to do it within 15 minutes. Oh man! So within 20 minutes, they've had three glasses of wine, macaroni, and they've watched Bambi's and they've watched mom die. <laughs> <laughs> is this a great study or what? <laughs> wait, I'm going to bet that they didn't feel so great after that. No, they did not. <laughs> however, however, what they found was the endocannabinoids. So in the in the happy room, their endocannabinoids rose from the room. And the wine didn't seem to affect it much. They they just stayed up. They just in the depressed room. They dropped dramatically, but then when they had wine, they went up some. Okay. So fundamentally, what we've learned is when you're around your relatives and things aren't going well over the holidays, drink wine. Or, or if you have to watch Bambi one more time, <laughs> yes, bring along some macaroni and cheese <laughs> and, a, and about three I glasses guess. of wine. I'm just saying, I, I don't, I don't know how important these results are, but any study <laughs> where they got to watch Bambi's mom die is something worth talking about. All That's right, classic. this is um, this is one from a guy that we like. Oh, are we going to do a question or another study? We got another study. Oh, we got okay, questions. A study. We got, okay. Oh, yeah, oh, sorry. We're, okay. we're moving along. Is this our Harvard label guy? Our Harvard label guy. Oh, yes. Yeah, I like him. Yeah, Mark Allen Thornton. He's a Harvard. Right. Soci- he's a PhD candidate in Harvard's Social Cognitive and Effective Neuroscience Lab. Uh, quickly recap: We've talked to him before about like he's a, a guy that compared what wines that critics liked and wines that regular folks liked and the descriptors. Right. right. And the descriptors they it liked turned out that they weren't all the same. They were not. They were very different. Yeah. Although the people loved. And uh, I know you love this word, Paul, handcrafted. Yes, because I prefer machine-crafted wines. Yes. Well, me, I want Bambi-crafted wines. <laughs> that is possible. But there was a handful of other things. You know, and critics liked uh, things like espresso and mineral, and people liked coffee, you know. But yeah. okay, so, uh, yeah. and, you know, and, and here's one that I like is critics like brioche. Yes. I think somewhere in here, this study, you're going to find that critics like brioche and people like bread. Yeah. Because they smell the same. Yeah. Well, it was toast, things like that. But so you this know is, what? If you're a critic. It's brioche. It's brioche, of it's course. It's brioche. Yes, because it's got to be. Okay. Um, so uh, in in this study, what he did was he compared the back labels of cheap and expensive wines. Right. And to, to, to sort of, in essence, monitor the descriptors. Then what he did was he built these flavor... Uh, grids, you know those grids. You see, there's dots and lines connected yeah, so that yeah. they're sort of grouped together, um, and and compared. You, you should know that Rick is carefully trying to draw a I'm grid, drawing in, the a grid in the air while he's yes. explaining. It's a good grid too. You should see it. It's really good. Rick, we're on radio. Yes. Oh darn it. Um, <laughs> if we if we ever televised a show, we'd be in trouble. Um, and so that there were comparisons. He had comparisons of the same kinds of wines and what showed up on expensive and inexpensive wine. Right. And so, for example, dark on a less expensive wine on average was nearly synonymous with his descriptor black on a more expensive wine. Ah, so cheap wines are dark and expensive wines are black. Yes. Um, well, and, that's you know, easy like to say. Dark fruit versus sure. black fruit, yeah. you know, because yeah. that's more, it's much more sophisticated to say black fruit. Um, so whites uh, the, uh, were the more expensive 
um, descriptors were vanilla, oak, pale, uh-huh. and color uh-huh. were used often. Um, dry, full, straw, clean. That was on. Excuse me. Um, on inexpensive. On okay. this expensive was full straw, clean acidity. So you'd prefer and tropical. your expensive wines want vanilla and oak, and your inexpensive wines are going to have straw. No, I got that backwards. I'm sorry. The vanilla, vanilla and oak was the inexpensive. Okay. The straw, the acidity, the tropical. Those are all on. Oh, uh, those are in the expensive. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and, Straw, huh? Yeah. In hmm. on reds, uh, price was mostly words were like vanilla showed up on reds and color and black and blackberry, since oh sure we had black. Yeah. And then acidity, interestingly enough, sweet, purple, dark, and red all showed up on the cheaper ones. Um, but here's a couple of comparisons. So um, okay, because I'm already confused. Yeah. So this is pale on expensive equals straw on a cheaper. Okay. I actually Good had to my know. first. Yeah. Okay. So intense on an expensive equals elegant on a cheaper. Lemon on an expensive equals finish on a cheaper. So they would say lemony on this one. They would just say on a cheaper, say bright finish. Floral and fruity on an expensive, whereas dry on a cheaper. Those make no sense. I know, but that's the labels. The reds actually sort of, um, so this is funny. So so here's the funny part is we're telling people that they should talk about wine in ways that we can understand, and the people who are literally doing this Doing the labels are really good. Yeah, are completely wrong about it. But but, what he's, and remember, equals is these are wines that actually do have similar flavor profiles. Right. This is how they were described. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're going to like this next one. On the red, vanilla. Yes. On the expensive. Yeah. Equals chocolate on <laughs> the cheap. <laughs> so the wines have all these similar Same flavor flavors, descriptors. But, but vanil- one, if because it's expensive, it's vanilla, and if it's cheap, it's that, chocolate. That's you why know, I never care which ice cream Rick, I get because they taste the same. I prefer chocolate. Yeah. I was going for strawberry. but um, <laughs> so and, and then on chocolate on the cheap also equals blackberry and plum on the expensive. You know, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I hear what you're saying. I understand it what you're no saying. It makes no sense. But what we're really saying here is all of those descriptors mean nothing to people. Well, this is the um, this is the, the 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 in essence as as our friend uh, he always seems to conclude is <laughs> descriptors mean nothing to people. Descriptors mean the, nothing the, to people. Descriptors. I mean, they they have some resonance, but it's the words, not the wine, and so they right. resonate in different ways. It's poetry, but don't actually act what it means. Just react to how it feels. Yeah, it's well, it, it's one of the reasons why we get to make fun of wine writing because those wine writers are out there searching for descriptors, inventing things, inventing and people things. have no idea what they mean. Yes, well, which is a good way uh, to describe us often, which is that people <laughs> have no idea what we mean, and when we come back and just in a moment. We're answer some questions and people have no idea what we mean when we answer them. <laughs> questions coming up stay with us Listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and it's time to take some questions from listeners. If you'd like to ask us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. Don't forget to look for us on iTunes. We're easy to find. You can subscribe for free. All right, we have a batch of holiday party questions since the holidays are coming. And if you're new to us, you might want to know what qualifies us to be answering questions about holiday parties. Well, we don't get to invited to any, so we're the perfect in uh, what impartial time. Inverver, in yes. observer. That... I was going to say, plenty of time to brood <laughs> <laughs> and think. Yes. Uh, when Paul is not brooding, however, he is a respected industry pro, and he answers questions on places like allexperts.com. He teaches at Napa Valley College, the Culinary Institute of America. He broods around the world and answers questions there, too. Okay, I can play this game because but... when Rick is not getting thrown out of holiday parties, <laughs> Rick is a consultant to restaurants and wineries, as written a couple of books, one of which made New York Times bestseller 
list on uh, wine, and he's a commentator on wine for Capital Public Radio. Where um, I try not to brood or they'll throw me out of the party. <laughs> out of the party. Our first question comes from Karen in Santa Rosa. She says, mm -hmm. I was at a party and a very nice friend was really proud of the wine he brought, except it was cork when he poured it. He was pouring it around, Ouch. and I didn't know whether I should say anything. I was the only person there in the industry, so I kind of felt I had some responsibility, but I didn't want to insult him. I just shut up. Am I a good or bad person? Well, she's a very good person. For even worrying about this, Karen. Yes. I mean, first of all, she's a right very there. good person because any wine snob worth his or her salt would have immediately said, excuse me, but the wine you're pouring clearly is corked. Right. And everybody in the room To show at, off that they could tell. And then everybody else in the room is looking around saying, I thought it came in a screw cap, or I got no idea what cork <laughs> means. Yeah. And the whole party goes to hell, and it's her fault. Yeah. So first of all, she's a really good person. Um, I usually don't say that unless I know the person who's pouring the wine quite well, and I do it off to the side. I don't announce in the middle of the room, I think the right. wine is cork. Yes. Usually the wine snob stands up on a chair and says it. That's right. Excuse me, everyone. Right. And the best part May is- May I have your attention? <clears throat> Rick, how many times has this happened? Somebody did that. And then you got three experts in the room who came forward and said, actually, fine. I don't totally think fair. the wine's yeah. cork. Yeah. Actually, I've, I've been to that party. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think and it's nice. And, you know, the other thing, too, is um, if there, people are enjoying it or don't care, then just right. what do you What do you care? That's right. right. That's and that's right. also the difference between a good person like like Karen and a wine and, snob. The wine snob has to – they have to be like him or that's her. That's right. They have, to, they have to tell everybody. They know it better than everybody else. And now I'm going to ruin the party for everyone by telling them this expensive wine that this guy just dropped $75 on isn't good. And now what do we do? Yeah. Because the people who know it's corked, they can go off to the side and pour it out. Or they may, they may know it's corked and they like it. The people who don't know it's corked, they're drinking it. It seems fine to them. Why ruin their party? Right. And here's the thing. And, and to reverse this just a little bit. Um, I had a friend who uh, brought a bottle of wine to one party one time uh, at our house, and it was corked. And the next time she brought a bottle of wine, it was corked. And she felt so bad. And I said to her, it's not your fault. What are the odds? Right. It's just This is just two bad rolls of life. You didn't cork the wine. This is the time for you to go to Las Vegas and, and throw right. a couple of spins yeah. out there because what are the odds? So two in it, a row. So if it is, if you are the person that happens to bring it, it is not your fault. And, and, right. if, and so... And often, to as you were saying, the folks who know it is and, and pour it out quietly, the Karens of the world, yes, they they're not going to think badly of you. So don't. No. It's a it's a really should be a very benign situation. The only time they'll think badly of you, Rick, is you stand on a chair and say it's corked. No, is when you stand on the chair and after tasting it, you announce to the world that you are a world class wine connoisseur and you've tasted this wine many times and it is absolutely superb. <laughs> and then Karen sits in the back and says, "This idiot doesn't know that it's corked," yeah. which is why it's always better to just drink the wine. And say pleasant things yes. and not make a big deal. Always about say it. pleasant things about the wine. I, you had a great answer about that one time you were saying, and you had uh, somebody asked you, what do you, it was, what, what do you think of the wine? And it wasn't very good. And you said it was something about uh, it's very typical of its. Uh, it was very it? typical of its region and the, time. There you go. Absolutely. And there you go. That's what you say. All right. Our next one comes from Teresa Stone in Dallas. 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 We are national, baby. We are national, baby. Cool. That's the beauty of the internet. Um, I love wine and am learning about it, so please excuse me if this sounds kind of selfish. I have read this question, by the way, Paul, and I love it. Okay, good. But here's my question. We go to holiday parties. Usually the wine is pretty bland, but now and then there's something good. So first, 
How do I find out more about the price and availability without embarrassing the person who brought it? And second, is it evil if I kind of hide it in the back of the pack so it'll be more for me? <laughs> okay, oh, Teresa, part. I've done that. I gotta tell you, I try not to do. I try not to hide it too badly. So right. I tell myself if people really wanted it, they'd find it. Right now, the here here is the, the technique, the pr- appropriate technique for hiding the bottle. Do not pick the bottle up. Read the label carefully, and then carefully put the bottle off to the side. That's a dead giveaway. Oh yeah, everyone oh, will yeah. know. They see you're looking. What you do is you put the bottle back on the table. You pick up a different bottle that has a ton of wine in it. You act really interested in this second bottle. You read it. You turn it over. You ask, "Who brought this wine?" Oh, thank you very much. You put that bottle directly in front of the bottle you want to hide. Yep. Everybody goes to that bottle. They ignore the bottle behind right. it. I'm I'm not saying I've ever done this. <laughs> but but if, that's a on good theory. <laughs> on theory, yeah. And and you've never yelled, "Wow, this stuff is great." <laughs> so, and the other part of that question is, it is always okay if you like somebody's yes, wine it, to tell boy, them that's how a, much it's you a like compliment. It. And just absolutely, you know, and say, you know, by the way, you know, is this easy to find? Wine. You know, where I did mean, you get it? Yeah, that's all you got to ask. I mean, it's the same thing that a woman would do, and I say this looking at the way you and I are dressed, knowing <laughs> men don't do this. But a woman would do if she saw someone who had a really cool purse or a really nice necklace or something else. That's so cool. Where did you get it? You can figure out the pricing you later. Are, you're absolutely right. And finally, I, I need to tell a story off subject on that. You know, I, I used to cover television. I'm in Hollywood lots of times for lots of events. And we were right. at an event and the, the folks from American Idol were there was back in the right. day. And we were right in the, the elevator with uh, Paula Abdul. And she turned to you, and she did not say, where did you get that no, lovely No, she turned to my purse. wife who had a purse. And, oh. and she said, that's a great purse. Where'd you get it? And it was from Target. There you and go. And Paula says, I love Target. So that's the thing. You and never, now they've bonded. They and have. You, your wife and Paula Abdul are like this They, they kind of are. Yeah. That's cool. I, I mistake the two. Uh, <laughs> they, um, but it, there is sort of a point that, which is that, you know, when you ask somebody about the wine they brought, they, they take a, a total compliment. Yes. Total compliment. Yes. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Depending on how you ask. Well, yeah, if you go, where'd you get this stuff? <laughs> That's not the way to do it. Who brought this? This is rot gut. <laughs> that is not the way to ask that question. But, Teresa, right. uh, go for it. And, you know, hide it gently, and I think nobody I think really cares. I think my technique is pretty good. You yep. just, yeah. Yeah. Either that or just, you know, slip it underneath your jacket. In your purse. <laughs> yeah. Take the rest home. Right. All right, this one comes from Brandon in Placerville. Should I tell people the point score of a wine I'm bringing to a party or a dinner, or is that uncool? Like talking about your Christmas bonus. Not that ever got one. <laughs> well, he's he's absolutely right. It is totally uncool. Yeah, it's it is true. Um it is it's you can say I love this wine. Right. Yeah, that's that's but you it, can even say I brought this because because somebody gave it a really good recommendation. Yeah. But yeah. just saying this wine is a 94 point wine from whom by whom who cares? You know, as I was traveling with these master sommeliers a couple of weeks ago, one of them told me a really interesting story. He said, you know, when someone asks me about a wine, I never tell them a point score. Because the minute I tell them a point score, I stop being the person they're talking to about the wine. Right. I am now nothing more than a mirror, a, a reflector. And all I'm doing is taking what somebody else said, and now they don't need me. Yeah. All they need is to know the score. And so, Brandon, you're not telling them anything about yourself. You're just telling them somebody else said this was a good wine, so I bought it. Why not tell them what you like about that well, wine? Well, uh, in Brandon's, uh, in defense of Brandon's question, I, I understand that point, which is that you want people to, know, especially if you know you really don't know much about wine, and it's just sort of a group, and they're interested, right. but not a lot, and you want them to know, I thought I brought a good wine. 
Right. Um, but uh, but the thing about the point score is it does it does sound it never quite sounds right. He's, you're right about the Christmas bonus part of the question. You know, well, it doesn't it does sound right sound for the weird. same reason yeah. that it doesn't sound right saying I brought this bottle of wine and it cost me eighty three dollars. Yeah, I mean that's just oh, not I never some... bring a bottle that costs eighty three dollars. <laughs> you kidding me? That's it's like no, seventy three dollars and max. And well, I was gonna say eighty dollars more than I'm usually bringing. Right. Uh, so, but it is a nice thing to say that you know that I, I thought this wine was really good. I've heard this wine was. Really I've heard good. this wine. Yeah. Is really good. The guy at the store said it was yeah. really good. It's yeah. supposed to be really good. All of those things. Or work. if you remember where it got it from, Wine Spectator liked it, or you know, sure. whoever. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, pure yeah. point score suddenly leads. Well, the somebody standing next to you said, "Well, mine got a 96." Yeah. The other thing it does that I think Brandon should be aware of is if somebody is really serious about wine, like you and me. Well, we're never we're serious. We're happy about wine. We're happy about wine. But for people who take wine seriously, coming in and saying this wine got 96 points. You run the risk of them saying, from whom, right. that guy doesn't know anything. Yeah. Well, and, and now, all of a sudden, you're in a whole discussion that you're not prepared to have. Well, we don't have that discussion because we, we don't know anything either, um, <laughs> as, as you've just heard. That's it for questions for now. We will have more in the second half of the show, uh, which is a li- ahead of our uh, wa- uh, wacky wine writing, so to speak, which is coming right up. Not just wacky, bad. Bad. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. So the music's wacky, the writing is bad. What'd you bring, Paul? Well, you know, Rick, I just, I'm just i sorry that our, our listeners can't see the little dance you do every oh, time that, that music, music comes yeah, on. Yeah. You, know, you just it, you look, they can't keep them in the chair, folks. My little shoulders are shaking, my head's waving. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a phrase. Um, and I'm just going to ask you two questions. One of them is, does this make any sense? And two, do you have any idea what kind of wine this could be? This is a wine that has suave floral pastille qualities. Okay. I don't know what those things are. Uh, well, you wouldn't, I know know suave. you wouldn't know suave I, I if it know how, in the I face. I don't know how that fits wine. <laughs> floral, I'm thinking it's a white. Right. Pastille, I happen to know, is a lozenge. It's a pill. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like a, it's when it's, things yeah. are condensed into a pill form. Right. So, uh, I, I, how does that affect a wine? I is the wine a pill? It is. is it I a think white this pill? is a wine that you simply take in pill form. Okay. Well, there, there you, you go. have it. Sounds good to me. It is. That's ridiculous. Yes. What is it? Uh, it's Pinot Noir. Oh my God. It's Pinot Noir. So a floral, a pastille Pinot Noir. I, I have no, I don't even know where to begin thinking about that. Smith Brothers. Smith Brothers there you Pinot go. Noir. Yeah, that's, uh, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, that's painful. So what do you have? I have, I have, um, I have that real wine snoot. Well, I have something from the guy that would stand up in the, on the chair and, and declare the wine. Okay. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to give you my, my, a little bit of a snoot accent. Oh, good. In all the years I've been drinking wine, I'm always happy when someone serves me a dry white Bordeaux. I can't keep that up. I'm sorry. <laughs> but until now, I've rarely bought or ordered one because too few have given me the consistent pleasure I've de- derived from other white wines, not least a wide array of white burgundies. Why does that even matter? On, uh, not keep, only that, he says he's always happy when someone gives it to him, and but then he, won't he says buy consistently it. they're not very good. Yeah, so what? he's... yeah. Oh, oh, I like this part. Oh, I am well aware of the excellence of the okay. oh he He's has to English. put O in there. Uh, this is yes. English. Yes, of uh, the fifty fifty Sauvignon Blanc and Sauvignon Blanc of Aubryon, and the fifty five percent Sauvignon, thirty five percent Sauvignon Blanc, and three percent Muscadel of La Tour Matiac. But no one debates the unique greatness. He's going on and on. You know, it's just okay. 
Um, but most generally, they disappoint. This began to change in, in the late 1980s. Okay, this is like decades ago. Right. I have then been delighted to taste a number of white Bordeaux recently that achieved both high quality through attention to terroir. Oh, this... And it's like... So the first three paragraphs were totally unnecessary. What he should say is, here's some good white Bordeaux. Here's some good white Bordeaux. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Or maybe... Bordeaux didn't used to be this good. Now they're better. 1980. It started to change in the late 1980s. That's what a couple of days ago. 1980. No, I was. I wasn't born yet. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. The two. The two. The two old guys. (laughs) And don't forget, you can find us on iTunes and subscribe for free. We've got lots more coming up in the second half of the show. Stay with us. Listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Hit it, guys. And thanks, boys. Thank you. Awesome as always. See you next week. All right. Those trumpets hail a historic history moment of the week. Paul, what his- historic history do you have? Well, you know, it was interesting. I was uh, once again traveling. I was in, in Rioja, Spain for a conference, and we oh, were talking— Oh, you're bragging about, again, aren't you? Well, not really, because—but we were talking about the fact that I first went to Spain almost 40 years ago. And I was talking— When, when you were two, right? When I was a child. Yeah. And th- one of the things they were asking me is, how had wine— and, and and Spain changed. Mm. And it was really interesting because it was a, sort of a roundtable discussion and lots of people added in their points. And I mentioned, of course, that, you know, one of the things I've seen in, Rick, you love these, the studies, oh, yeah. is that Sp- Spain, uh, de- a generation ago, used to, the, the average consumption was more than a bottle of wine a day. I like the Spaniards. And now it's well under half a bottle a oh, day. Oh, really? So they've really cut back. And Do you know what else they're drinking? Well, um... Or, or are they drinking less? They're drinking more non-alcoholic mm-hmm. beverages. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, as I was talking about this, you know, people were saying, oh, yes, I remember, you know. But, of course, wine back then was a little different. It was very inexpensive, and you didn't drink it. Uh, it wasn't something you thought about. You just always had a bottle for lunch. And But then one of the guys there said, you know, it's interesting. He said, I'm in the shoe business. And the average shoe size of the Spaniard has gone up more than one full size in that same time period. Wow. So, Rick, drink less wine, get big feet. Are they taller? I, I no, They I, are taller, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. it completely, the whole country, and in fact, we talked about that because I am five, ten and a half. And when I was there 40 years ago, if I got on the subway, the metro in Madrid, I was the tallest person in the metro. I could see down the whole, and now, not even close. Well, you see this now. We got people in the NBA who, um, who are Spanish who are playing in the NBA. Yeah, but of course that's always an outlier. I mean, that's but but the fact sure. that they're all taller. Yeah, all taller, wow, bigger wonder, feet, quite you know, interesting. So are they the eating whole, better now? Yes, or is yes, more better nutrition, more nutrition, more, and, so. and a more varied diet. Mm. Yep. Well, I I would argue better nutrition and more wine, and probably feet would be even larger. <laughs> and then they then they're great swimmers. <laughs> <All right. laughs> okay, what do you have? Well, I have a story that sort of goes back to my endocannabinoid 
endocannabinoids so I could say the word again. Oh, you just love that word. I do. Endocannabinoids. Endocannabinoids. <laughs> These are ancient endocannabinoids, and it goes back more than 7,000 years. It is quite possibly a myth. <laughs> <laughs> it's the story of Jamshid, a semi-mythical Persian king who may or may not have existed or may or not have been Noah, depending on all kinds of may or may or nots. Rick, you need to do more studies on this. You yes. need to read some more studies on this. Uh, we, we should do a study. Okay. Um, but when he's one of the great, yes, yes. The, apparently what they did was they put him in a room and he had to watch Bambi. <laughs> no. So he was considered, you know, he, the legends are he's one of the great kings of the heroic age of yep. Persia. And he's Good. said to be the fourth king of the world. Okay. And he was involved all kinds of things, piles of inventions, things like, you know, uh, manufacturing armor and weapons and weaving and building houses with brick. And mining and navigating He's a busy ships, guy. but one of the most important things was he is cr- credited with inventing wine. Well, God bless him. Sort of. Here's how the story works. Story is a woman of his harem was banished from his kingdom. We don't know why, hmm. but she came despondent, as despondent as if she had seen Bambi's <laughs> mother die. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she tried to kill herself, so she did this by going to the king's warehouse, and he found it. She found a jar marked poison. The jar had old grapes in it, and so she drank it. But they wasn't poison. What do you think it was, Paul? Oh, that's a good story. That wasn't spoiled. It was wine. It was fermented. And the woman didn't die. And according to the, sp- she was, quote, rejuvenated and lively. And Sounds she wanted like to us. see the other part of Bambi. Yes, yes, as Miss says it. So she took her discovery to the king, as she, who she was hoping would then take her back. Mm. And he became so enamored with this new, quote, unquote, wine beverage that he not only took her back, he ordered that all the... The grapes grown in Persepolis should be used to make wine, to, to sit in barrels and places and next thing Did you they know, use French or Hungarian oak they, in, I, in, in ancient Persia? I think it was American oak. No, a little bit early for that. Um, and then they all sat around cool. and watched, and, and watched so the better So she tried to drink poison, discovered, in fact, that the grapes had fermented into wine, and everybody loved her. And she was rejuvenated and lively. She was rejuvenated and lively. It, Rick, does, it does sound like We need like some us. wine in that case. Well, speaking of rejuvenation and liveliness, I have one more study. But <laughs> I people knew are you would. Gonna want, they're going to want to know this one. Yeah. This was a very popular study in my household, I must say. <laughs> so researchers at the University of Reading in Reading, Reading excuse me, Reading in Great Britain. I knew that. Yeah. The University of Reading in Great Britain say that one to two glasses a, a week of bubbly of champagne can strengthen memory and prevent dementia and Alzheimer's. What? Huh? Well, I forgot what we're not we drinking were. enough champagne. Are <laughs> I you? need more bubbly. This paper was published in something called Antioxidants and Redox Signaling. Wow. Well, uh, you, where do you find this stuff? Because I got to say, you cannot be reading these journals. Oh, no, I have. You should see. I get, I get, I get all kinds of journals. I have a stack in the corner. I just thumb <laughs> yeah, well, through. If you, have oh. a few, if you have a few extra copies of anti, Antioxidants and Redox Signaling, I'd love to look them yeah. over. Oh, it's, it's good reading, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like, it's like watching Bambi. <laughs> so here's what they did. The scientists gave rats champagne. <laughs> literally champagne. <laughs> they did. Yes, Little they guys, did. They, gave them, they gave them, I think they gave them the flat glasses. Now, it's it's hard for them to drink out, out of the, of the flutes. flutes. Yeah. Now, I'm, now, the pointy little noses, they go right into those flutes. Yes, they were, be fine. They were. They were. And actually, as as Matt uh, Pacini, our engineer, points out, that uh, that uh, they were wearing little smoking jackets. Yes, they were. <laughs> yes. And what I want to know is, so, was it Cordon Rouge? Was it Dom Perignon? I mean, exactly how good was the Or, or well, was it, God forbid, 
fake champagne from some other region. No, I'm, I'm sure it was from champagne, and I'll tell you why in a second. Okay. Um, but it, was, it probably wasn't the good stuff because they're rats. What do they know? Um, but they gave him the <laughs> That's what people say equivalent about of a right? glass and a half a day for a week. Uh, um, for six weeks, I'm sorry. Um, and the rats, uh, their first reaction was they said they would like more and maybe an oyster or two. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. yeah. An oyster, please. You can see the rats. An oyster, please. <laughs> What they found was the the phenolic compounds, which is one of the antioxidants it's in the grapes. the skins and the seeds of yes. the grapes. Right. It was found to, quote, favorably alter a number of proteins linked to storing memories in the brain. Cool. It improves uh, spatial memory and improved the communication between the cells, uh, which is basically how, in essence, our nerve system works, of course, and encouraged nerves that carry electrical signals to the brain to regenerate, but so you, rebuild. You know what the rats paired with the champagne, don't you? The wine and food pairing for rats is I'm, always the same. And it is. It's got to be cheese. Cheese, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, cheese and, and, and champagne. Well, and, and it restores the communication and improved spatial memory. They found more cheese. That's true. They could, they managed the the mazes all that better. They were yeah. And actually, so the folks, it was at, the folks at the University of Reading uh, had previously done a study that showed that two glasses of champagne a day may be good for your heart and your circulation and could reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease and stress. So, so you if know you drink know? two glasses a day, it's good for your heart, and another glass and a half, and it'll improve your memory. How much if you drink the whole bottle? That's a good question. You know, you know what I get from these studies? I think that the, the scientists at the University of Reading really like champagne. <laughs> <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> Who doesn't? At least their rats do. That's right, right. Well, speaking of rats, the two of us <laughs> will be answering more questions in just a minute. Yes, we will. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paula, and we are going back to our mailbag. And by the way, if you'd like to ask us a question, uh, we will give you credit uh, or not. We will... <laughs> Not make rack jokes at your expense. We'll honor your wishes. We will. And we you can go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word. And don't forget, we are on iTunes as well. Our first question, uh, it's another holiday-based kind of question. Okay. This is from uh, Jennifer in Santa Barbara. The holidays are coming, she says, and I'm trying to choose my calories well. Mm-hmm. I already know. I like where Jennifer's going with this. The wine. What wine? So she's thinking, I'm just, it's my, she's not worrying about dessert. She's thinking about the wines. Right. What wines are highest and lowest in calories, and are they better and worse than beer or mixed drinks? P.S. I don't want to know about pie. I love pie. I'm just eating it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I've had this conversation. You know, I mean, you only get so many calories per day before you start getting fat, and of course, at our age, Rick, that happens quicker. I've been because I've been called fat head more than once already. Because so, we yeah. just don't use up the calories the way true. we did when we were twenty. It's, it's why we sit in this studio and shiver. It's a cold <laughs> That's studio. right. Yeah. And so the question is, if you only get so many calories per day, what are you going to use them on? And I often don't. Ha- I'm I'm a little bit different from Jennifer. I often don't have dessert, but I will have a glass of dessert wine. Me too. And I keep telling myself it has fewer calories than pie. I don't know if it I'm might. correct. I it, think it probably I am it, correct. It that. might. Well, here's here's a few things that we know. We right. we've we've got these lists. We've actually uh, un- unfurled these lists in the past. So so these are actually pretty good pretty good numbers. Um, first off, the thing to know is that that alcohol has actually more calories per gram than than sugar. Than sugar. So right. a high alcohol wine versus a sweet wine. The high alcohol wine is gonna have more more calories. It's or a shot like, of vodka. More calories than wine because it's got it's higher just alcohol. more higher alcohol too, yeah. right? So alcohol has seven calories per gram. Carbs or sugars basically are mm-hmm, four. Mm-hmm. So here's a couple of numbers. So a twelve ounce beer, and remember a bar pint is fourteen. So right. you know, so this is actually a little bit less. 
Um, light beer starts at 95 calories. Lagers and pilsners are in the, you know, those are the lighter beers. Right. 150 plus. And those big IPAs, they can be 250 to 350, even 400 calories, well, and, depending on the alcohol and levels. Guinness must be higher than that. Well, Guinness isn't super high alcohol, though. No, but it is. Because of the sweetness. Of sweetness so much and everything, yeah. So if mixed drinks, like mm-hmm. your basic old-fashioned or Manhattan, there's some sweetness in there, too, and they can go from 150 to 175 to 200 calories, and then the sweeter drinks, you know, your pina coladas are oh, yeah. 450 way, to way up there. Man, that's that's a McDonald's burger it by kinda the time is, you get up to yeah. 450. Yeah. Um, and then spark, and then in Although, wine, to be fair, think, would you rather have a... A pina colada or a McDonald's burger. I mean, I think that's a pretty easy choice for most people to make. Well, if you have too many pina coladas, you're going to be eating too many burgers, actually. But yes, <laughs> yes, it is. Um, and and then in wine world, um, it, it's really just it's the easy way to think about wines is as as the alcohol gets bigger, the calories go up. So like a sparkling wine, like what our friends the rats drank. Yeah, uh, it's uh, you know a hundred ish calories. It's how they keep their svelte f- figure why despite they are, eating all that cheese. Yeah, well, they and they run around the little mazes too. <laughs> um, and you know the the medium whites, you know, the kind of the richer shards, the lighter reds, are 175 calories or. So for uh, what would be considered a, a bar pour, once again, which is like a four to five ounce glass. Right. And then the big reds, are they're up there, 250 plus. And then uh, and some of those giant Zins um, <laughs> or the high alcohol dessert wines, because they are both like a port is high alcohol and sugar. Right. But you're not going to drink five ounces of a glass of port. I mean, a port's going to come in a no, smaller No, I'm going glass. at least 10 or 15. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I'm just chugging the thing. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That is true. Because even... no, but we're talking about a regular a regular, uh, a restaurant serving. So that would be, you know, the, the smaller right. serving is 250 and plus. Yeah. So that's um, okay. That's your calorie okay. grid for what it's worth. That's good. Um, that's good. That, uh, all right. Our so next does one... Jennifer have an answer to her question? Uh, I mean, drink lighter style wines. Yeah. Bubbly is, is best. Uh, if you're going to drink sweet wine, drink relatively small amounts of it. And always have pie. But and and fundamentally, though, um, that wine is a little bit lower generally than the other alcohols. Right. And and you know, there's another. We we I remember we quoted a scientist once had very great wisdom about the beer calories, wine calories. He said the problem with beer calories isn't just the beer; it's with the foods you end up yeah, eating with beer. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. you tend you're to eat junkier there, foods. You're sitting down there with nachos and French fries and all the rest. Right. Whereas when you're drinking your your sparkling wine with your rats, you're having a little bit they of an eat elegant the best cheese, cheese only and, the best cheese. and oysters. And, yes. Yeah, oysters, absolutely. Way, oysters are great. All right, this one comes from Jayla in San Francisco. This is going to make my boyfriend sound cheaper than he really is. Okay. Well, she's defending him. That's okay. Yeah, That's yeah. good. Um, this time of year, we're meeting friends a lot for drinks to stay in touch and celebrate the holidays and everything. Most of us like wine. Most we get a glass of wine when we get together. My boyfriend says keeps trying to get the group to order a bottle or two because he says it's cheaper. Is there a good way to do that? Well, first of all, he's right. He is right. Because totally. most restaurants will charge you, by the time you order three glasses of wine, you can almost order a bottle for the same price. And you figure you can get four to five glasses out of a bottle of wine. So he is right. Now, the the, the challenge is if there's... If there's just a couple of you and you each want to drink something different, that's kind of hard. Right. But if you've got a group of four or five people, figure – first of all, I, I also – I'm not sure he's, – he's saying because it's cheaper. I think it's his marketing is wrong. It's not the decision. It's the marketing. He should say 
You're having a glass of wine. You're having a glass. Hey, what the heck? Let's celebrate today. Let's order a bottle. No, it's not. Now he's celebrating, and everybody thinks it's a great idea. If he says, well, why don't we order a bottle because it's cheaper, it actually sounds like he's not trying to celebrate. Oh, yeah, that's true. You know, Jayla, I got to tell you, I do this. I I have the same argument. You know, we have— With yourself. Yes. I I say, well, I'm I'm if I'm going out by myself, I'm having six or seven glasses of wine. (laughs) I might as well get a bottle with you. No, we go out with a group, um, and— you and I sort of have certain advantages, although you live in wine country, so you've run a lot of wine professionals. Um, you know, my a lot of my friends like wine, but they're not in the business, so they do right. have many that are. But when I go with a group of friends— um, when I didn't know you had more than two friends They're anyway. mostly my wife's friends. Okay. They yeah, just let me come it. along. That explains um, it. But I always kind of want to get a bottle of wine, too, for that, both for that reason, but also I, somehow it just seems more fun when we yep. have a group. Yep. Um, and often—so what they do often is that they'll give me the wine list and say, what should we get? And so then I— I'll right. pick a bottle. So that's a little bit easier that way. But right. one of the things that sometimes I do if I get there early and I know that they're going to, I get something that I know people are going to like is that I order a bottle ahead of time. So when they show up, right. there's a bottle there which looks like it's fun. And, and do you share it with them? No, or that's you the just second bottle it? is okay. theirs. Yeah, you, uh, the one no, I get mine. I'm saying, me. drink mine. And I'm in a much better mood when they show up. So <laughs> That's right. And by then you've seen Bambi on your phone. <laughs> yes. Yes, the ice skating scene, please. Um, yes. Uh, but that's, uh, it is a, it's a good question. I, but and I think so. Paul, her boyfriend's right. Yeah, and he just needs is, to work on his sales. Yes, pitch. make it celebratory. Make it celebratory instead of instead of money saving, and he's yes, in. He's yes. golden. And you get a bottle. And you get a, no. That's uh, yeah, yeah, all right. yeah. All right, and our next one comes from James in Sacramento. So, what do you guys think about all the wine paraphernalia and cork stuff? Is gifts for my friends who like wine. Ooh, ooh, James, I'm I'm on the record on this. Yeah, me too. Uh, I think we're on the same side of this. Which one. is we we think it's really dumb. Yeah, it's a waste of if money. If they're serious about wine, they already own it. And if they're not serious about wine, they'll put it on their counter and it'll sit there for months and months and months. And eventually, you can buy it back because it'll be in the local Goodwill store or thrift shop for yeah. a third of what you paid for you, it. You know what a really good gift is for people who like wine? Wine. Wine. Yeah. <laughs> I saw I saw one of the major magazines. Uh, you know, that email ad that comes out with yep. the holiday things. Yep. And it was a stopper with one of the reindeer. So the, the reindeer's lying sideways. There's, there's, what's that? Was it Olive? It wasn't Olive. I think it was you know, Dasher. Might okay. have been Dancer. Yeah. Um, and, you know, lying, uh, Dancer's lying on his back. So it's like a T. You know, there's the cork is down and he's a, he's the top of the T across the cork. Yeah. And he's got a glass of wine in one hand and he's got a like, candy cane in the other. And he takes about, Tw- takes up about 20 feet for a stopper. <laughs> so first off, who doesn't finish the bottle of wine? No, no, wait, that's just me. Right. But the second is, what a useless piece of junk because you couldn't put it anywhere. It wouldn't, right. wouldn't fit in your refrigerator, right. wouldn't fit in your counter. Right. Don't buy a gift for anybody that you wouldn't want in your own house. Yeah. And I know it always sounds cute, you know. It's like, yep. you know, we'll, we'll work for wine, T-shirts and stuff like that. But yep. if you're going to get somebody T-shirts that says, we'll work for wine— Give them the wine because they're Give willing them the to do wine and because then maybe they don't do have to do the work. work. That's, oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Get some free work out of them. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's excellent. All right, I have one more. One more question. This is from Howard in Lake Oswego. If folks don't know, that's really a suburb of Portland. Wow. I know. I know. I've heard you're supposed to include the price of wine in a tip at a restaurant. Is that true? It makes sense, but is there a point where you don't include the whole thing when you do your figuring? Like if the wine costs 200 bucks, is it 30 or $40 harder to open that than a $50 bottle of wine? It's a really good question, and of course it brings to mind at one point the, the old joke, the most expensive meal ever ordered 
was a couple of hamburgers and a bottle of wine from King Tut's tomb that cost $7 million. And what kind of a tip do you leave on two burgers and a $7 million bottle of wine? Do you leave something King Tutty like I, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it is, that's a that's actually, there's no one answer. The, the real, the, the, the one solid answer is, yeah, you do tip on the wine. Yes. You know, yes. there's lots of reasons why, but fundamentally because it's gracious. It's not only gracious, but um, it, it. To be perfectly fair, for people who are opening a more expensive bottle of wine, they're going to be a little more careful. It's true. That's part of it. And and then the other thing is, you know, if if you choose to drink a more expensive wine, that's part of going to dinner at that restaurant, and it's part of the service. And yes, that's included. And yes, that's what you do. And if you don't want to leave a bigger tip, order less expensive wines. But yeah, you pay a tip on the wine. You know, it's funny. I've uh, I've done some stories recently on tipping. It's, there's been a lot of tipping in the news lately. Uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. some New York restaurateurs that are. And, have and, have and, these been tipping point stories? They've been the tipping point on tipping, yes, which actually exactly. is and in San Francisco and in New York. A lot of restaurateurs are, are. And Danny Meyer. Yeah, Danny Meyer is a big one. Yeah, yeah. That's a big chain there. And and yep. um and, and in Sacramento here, uh, there's uh, a very smart and very good restaurateur who tried to it has added a. A bit of a, a, the option to also tip the back of the house, you know, yes. b- because yeah, the yeah, way yeah. the laws work in California, you can't actually you can't uh, you can't order the tip to you go back. You can't sequester the tips right. and then reapportion them so, later. And and one of the things that lots of restaurateurs and servers and I've been around the restaurant industry a long time and I know this to be true is that they've washed that, a lot of dishes in I, your life. <laughs> not enough apparently, but um, is that is that people tend not to think about the tip when they're ordering. And then it always right. it always surprises them. And then a bit. it comes back, and they say, "Holy mackerel!" Yeah, and yeah. so and so that does that is a thing that that is really if you take much advice from us, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. you probably shouldn't, um, <laughs> but but you should if you can remember when you're ordering a bottle of wine to think about what the tip's going to be and figure that sure. into your whole figuring, so it doesn't, you know, and if you get. Um, if you are somebody that does get a two hundred or three hundred dollar bottle of wine, so maybe you don't have to go twenty percent on that, but you know right. you give them twenty percent on the the service and you know ten or fifty, you know give them something on the wine. Absolutely, so, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So that's yeah. Good. but it is a yeah. it's a fair question, Howard. It's a it's a very good one. Yeah. All right. It, it would be so much easier if things were the way they are in Europe, where you simply pay for what you get, and then everybody in the restaurant makes a working living wage. And I don't know why we don't use that yeah. system. And but well, go as and as Danny Meyer and many of the restaurateurs will tell you, they they often get re- customers who are not happy about it. That's one of the things I actually did some study uh, did some, uh, uh, stories on these guys in the hospitality industry yeah. and, and their studies, yeah. and what they found was yeah. that people feel like they have more control over their service if they can tip. Although it's interesting, when I eat in Europe, I get perfectly good service. Oh yeah, and I often find that in the states, when I'm tipping, the the, the tip doesn't have any. Doesn't there's no real connection between leaving the tip and getting good service. We need to go deeper in this on another show because here's the thing. Yep. Among the things these studies show is the actual amount that people tip is only tangentially related to the service. So I think we ought to tip every you, you ought to leave a percentage of your tip every ten minutes in the restaurant. So <laughs> service well, getting some, better, we'll crank it up some, a little. Service people, getting worse, crank it down a little. I've heard stories of guys who sort of do that. One guy, uh, really kind of a jerky guy, uh, a server is telling him the story of he put X amount of money on the table and said um Every time you, uh, if you do something me. wrong, I'm taking money off. <laughs> and she, what she said she really wanted to do was spill his soup in his lap. No kidding. All right. Well, that, we are not like that around here. We despise people like that around here because we are nice people. And when we come back, we're going to have a nice food and wine pairing for you. Excellent. Stay with us. You 
You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and we have a food and wine pairing for you. And it is since the Dutch women had to put up with this, we think that we should pair macaroni and cheese. Well, I would suggest venison. <laughs> with macaroni and cheese? If yeah. you're watching oh, yeah, Bambi. Yeah. That's the Bambi thing again. Yeah. yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Or, or deer's yeah, you know, butt. I'm, no, I'm going to go completely off the reservation here. I'm going to say IPA. You know, I uh, like hard a to argue good that bottle point. of IPA yeah. with macaroni and cheese. And we're talking regular macaroni and cheese, not, not the fancy-pancy stuff, just the, right. the good old hearty macaroni and cheese. Yep. Yeah. And if you throw on a nice frankfurter on top of that, I'm going to be a happy guy. Uh, on on top of your IPA or on top of your macaroni <laughs> I and cheese? I prefer it on top of the macaroni yeah. and cheese if I well, have Well, you know, I kind of like what the Dutch scientists started with, which is, you know, of course I like me, me, Miss B and me, sparkling wine and macaroni and cheese. It's like the beer kind of. Right. The Sharpie things. That, right. So um, since we have another minute or two, let's talk about some of the other kinds of mac and cheeses. Okay. So there's the truffle mac and cheese. You know, now it's got yes. the earthiness okay. and it's got some mushroom. Then you go for truffles. I'm going for either Valpolicella or Pinot Noir. Uh, Papalicello is a wine that we bring up a lot, and we need to do it. We need, you know, we talk about this. We need to do a story. Yeah, it's a because yep. it's got a, it's got an earthiness and, a, and but it's still fresh. Thirty-seven percent of the rats in Reading. Uh, prefer Valpolicella with their macaroni and cheese. I've heard that, yeah. yeah. You know what I like with it? I like is, uh, I, and I, I do this direction a lot, is I like Syrah. Syrah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. the earthiness in Syrah. Why wouldn't you do a study in Reading that gave the rats the option of whether they wanted to drink bubbly or white wine or red wine? <laughs> That's, you know... Let and let the, you put them at different spots, and you that's have, right. And, and you see have which the, one they, that's the little which guys. One do they like, better. and they're still wearing their smoking jackets and, and because it, they're. With yeah. any luck at all, they could even come up with some good wine descriptors for us. <laughs> I think. I think that's. All right, so that we're going to look for that. We're going to send them an email and ask for that to be our next study. We will, of course, like everything else, we will report that for you here at Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. That is it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our engineer is Matt Bassini. Thank you, Matt. Uh, we thank you to Capital Public Radio for the studio use, as always. If you'd like to ask us a question, don't forget, it's rickandpaulwine.com, all one or Rick and Paul Wine. And don't forget, look for us on iTunes. And if we, you've learned anything today, we think it's this. Champagne can make you remember and wine can make you happy, and you should use those powers wisely. <laughs> I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. And remember the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Uh, especially with us, and sometimes occasionally with the rats. With the rats. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>